Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I preached on that passage a number of months ago now, as at the time I noted that the assumption in the Bible with respect to the overall care, discipline, and instruction of children is that fathers are to take the lead. Clearly, that doesn't mean that mothers are exempt. Traditionally, mothers have been the primary homemakers in many homes today. That is still true. But while for practical reasons, one or another of the parents may have a greater influence in the life of their children, in the eyes of God, it is his design that fathers, men, males, fathers have the primary responsibility for bringing up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Of course, fathers and mothers, again, they work together with this. It is not only his responsibility, but it is primarily his responsibility. At the end of their life and ministry to their family, fathers, not mothers, are going to be looked at by the Lord to see how he has raised his children. The passage in Ephesians doesn't assume that fathers are responsible for saving their children. Each person must come to faith in Christ in their own right. Children themselves must come to know Jesus as Lord for them to be saved. That's still clear. The focus in the text of Ephesians 6 is not salvation. The focus is rather on their upbringing. The focus is on character development, the development of the character of children in the homes. Again, this passage In Ephesians 6, in the Bible at large, also doesn't assume that fathers have to be perfect. Just as I said in the message directed toward mothers on Mother's Day, fathers need Jesus too. We need for the Lord to be at work in our hearts. We need the Holy Spirit to work in us, to bring about godly character in order to walk in a manner worthy of him. Fathers ought to seek the face of Christ daily in order to do what Christ has called them to do. They will at times fail. But whether or not we fail at times, whether or not we feel adequate, whether or not we feel capable, we're still called to this role by the Lord. The verse in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 sets a standard to which all fathers are to pursue. In light of that truth that it is our primary responsibility as fathers to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, to help train their character in the discipline and instruction of the Lord this morning, we're going to return to the book of the Proverbs to think through some specific principles that we ought to teach our children as we seek to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. I'll read the entire passage, but we'll focus in on verses 8 through the end. Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. They are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk with them in the way. Hold back your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? 
How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn up my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their ways and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by turning their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. Father, as we come before your word, I pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful truth, that you would help us to see it as wonderful truth, as that which we ought to pursue, to hold on to, and not allow to escape. I pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts collectively be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, there are three principles in this text that we'll see. And while my words are directed to fathers, particularly on this day, these principles are certainly instructive for both parents and for anyone who has input in the lives of others. You could be a father, you could be a grandparent, you could be a great-grandparent, you could be an aunt or an uncle, you could have an adopted family, a mixed family of some sort, or you could just be, again, someone who doesn't have children, but you know other people in the church who are coming after you, and you want to impart wisdom to them. Well, these are some good principles to keep in mind. Verses 1 through 7 are introductory to the whole of the Proverbs, but then our focus is going to be on verses 8 and following, and in those verses there are three main principles that we ought to teach our children to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. The first, in verses 8 and 9, is to teach your children to see the value of your counsel. Teach your children to see the value of your counsel. The second is to teach your children to see the danger of wicked counsel. That's in verses 10 through 19. Teach your children to see the danger of wicked counsel. The third is to teach your children to treasure the blessing of wisdom's counsel. Verses 20 through 33. Teach your children to see, to treasure the blessing of wisdom's counsel. As we are tasked with bringing up our children in the discipline of the Lord, what better place to look for principles than the Proverbs? The Proverbs were largely written by Solomon for his son. It was written for the purpose of instructing his son in the way of wisdom. You see that in the first seven verses. These, these first seven verses in chapter one are introductory to the book itself. Look again at those first seven verses. Again, he says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. This is what the Proverbs are for. To give wisdom and instruction. To give words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, meaning in dealing with others in a wise way, in righteousness, justice, and equity, in dealing with others in a way that is righteous, just, and equitable, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. There's this idea of the simple-minded ones in Proverbs. It's not that they lack intelligence or that there's something wrong with their ability to process information. It's just that they're simple-minded. They don't have very complex minds, meaning they haven't experienced all that there is to know in life. They don't really know what's going on in the world. And that characterizes youth in general. They don't understand what's happening in the world. That's why the whole parenting scheme of just, you know, kind of that free-range parenting idea where you just kind of let the kid figure out what they want to do and what they like is utter foolishness because kids don't know what they need to do. They don't know what's right. And the whole purpose of being a parent is to help guide them in the way that is right. That idea of being simple-minded comes up over and over again in the Proverbs. And it's used to describe 
to generally describe youth. And I think that's very pointed. But part of the point of the Proverbs, again, is to give prudence or wisdom, discretion, knowledge to the youth, to the simple-minded. He says, let the wise hear and increase learning. The one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and saying the words of the wise and their riddles and here the overall introductory message for the book, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom is the goal. You give wisdom to the simple-minded, to the youth. Wisdom is different from knowledge in a sense that knowledge is indicative of possessing information. Wisdom is the ability to use that information well. I think I've used this illustration before, but I know what sewing is. I know what a sewing machine is. I know what thread is. I know what a needle is. I know that you have to put the thread through the needle and you know you have to tie it and that you press some buttons on the sewing machine and that you usually put the step on a pedal sometimes. And, and all that does is, is it helps to sew pieces of material together. I know that information. But if I try to sew something, it's going to be awful. Like it's just, I already know that, like, so I don't even try. Because I don't know how to use that information well. But my mother-in-law, for example, she is amazing in sewing. Like she'll sew a quilt, and some of these quilts look like, I mean, they should be hanging up in a museum somewhere because they're so beautiful. Like she, she has the wisdom to sew. I only have the knowledge, right? And that's the difference. Wisdom is a necessary commodity to pass on to future generations because those future generations don't come into the world with the ability, regardless of how much they know, they don't come into the world with the ability to use that knowledge well. And so they need wisdom which is the skill of using that knowledge well. In particular, they need the wisdom of the Lord because they come into a world in which the Lord God is sovereign ruler. He is ruler. He is judge. Therefore, the most important lesson that children can learn from their parents is not which careers are best, not how to be the best looking, the best dressed, not, have the mo- not how to have the most in your bank account, not to have people think well of you. The most important lesson that can be taught to those who are coming after us, to our children, is how to live well, I'll be wise, in a world in which the Lord God is sovereign, ruler, and judge. Again, it's not innate to us. We are by nature, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, sons of disobedience. And we are children of wrath as a result of that. We never have to teach children to disobey. You don't have to teach a kid to take from their, their brother or sister or their neighbor, right? You don't have to teach a kid to lie about the fact that they took from their brother or sister or neighbor, right? You don't have to teach them to disobey your commands. It's not about a bad environment. It's not simply bad parenting. Those things certainly aid in the waywardness of children. But the reality is, by nature, we are wayward. By nature, we are disobedient. And so children, parents rather, are tasked with the chore of training children to be obedient. In particular, to be obedient in a world in which the Lord God is sovereign ruler. So again, as we think about that exhortation to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, we know we have a lot of work to do. And as we come to the Proverbs, again, to find those principles to help us to think through how we can bring them up in the instruction of the Lord so that they'll have the wisdom that they need to live life well in the world in which the Lord God is sovereign, ruler, and judge. Well, let's look at that first point, again, in verses 8 and 9, we're to teach our children to see the value in our counsel. Again, hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Teach your children to see the value of your counsel. Again, this is Solomon speaking to his son. He's trying to prepare his son to go out into the world, again, in which the Lord is sovereign ruler over all. Yes, his son may be a future king, but ultimately there's a greater king. 
Solomon's trying to provide his son with the skill necessary to navigate life in this world. Listen to what he says. Again, hear your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Hear, listen to me, pay attention, take note. He elaborates in the second half of the line. Not only listen, pay attention, but do not forsake. This is important. Hear what I'm saying. Do not let it depart from you. Keep it close. We teach our children when they get money, not only to have money, but to what? not lose their money. Like if you give them a, a $10 bill, you don't want them to just kind of you know, play around with it, sit it on the edge of the table, let it hang half out of their pocket. No, you need to secure it. You need to take good care of it. Well, what's more important for them to hold on to than our instruction, our teaching? Don't let it go. Treat it like treasure, value, my teaching, my instruction. And again, he says, your father's instruction and your mother's teaching, so he's lumping it all in together. Our instruction together. There will be a myriad of different voices in the life of your children. They will hear from other children, they'll hear from neighbors, they'll hear from classmates, they'll hear from the news, they'll hear from social media influencers on various platforms, they'll hear from television, movies, radio, and the list goes on and on. Each of those with different voices and different forms of instruction and teaching. Again, one of the most important things that you can teach your children is that they learn to value your voice. So this is not yelling. If you have to yell at them to get them to respond to you, then I think you've missed the point. This is training your children to actively listen for your voice and to be quick to respond to your voice. I think we talked about this when I preached from Ephesians 6. When we talked about the idea of first-time obedience, and I mean, that's really what obedience is. It's first time. It's immediate. This is particularly necessary to teach children when they're very young. If you have to say it more than once, then they're not being obedient. Obedience is immediate, and unless there's some barrier preventing obedience, maybe they, didn't, they genuinely didn't hear, not like I didn't hear in the sense that I don't really want to listen to you, but they genuinely didn't hear for some reason, or there's some other barrier preventing them from responding, you should train them to listen to, to listen for your voice and to respond immediately to it. I mean, a very simple illustration as to why this is important. You see people all the time out in public with their young kids, right? And their kids just kind of running around in the store or running around at the park or running around wherever they are and not paying attention to anything. And the parent yells out and the kid just completely disregards it. You know they heard it. They know they heard it. But, I mean, they don't have to listen. They don't have to respond. So they're just dumb. What if you're walking down the road, right? I mean, I get this imagery in my mind sometimes of, you know, kids walking down the road, and um, uh, that, that probably sounded bad. I don't, I don't sit and think about these kinds of things all the time, but just by way of illustration is my point. Um, you know, you're walking down the road, and there's this, this 18-wheeler barreling down the road, and the kid doesn't see it. They're just kind of going about like kids do, just wandering about, playing, and, you know, you see it, but they don't see it, and you call out to them, but you haven't trained them to listen for your voice and to immediately respond to your voice, and so they just keep going. Because they know, they, they have maybe two or three more times before you get really angry, or before you start to count to ten, right? And then, you know, you get really angry, and so then they go about responding. So they ignore you, and they keep going out into the road. What's going to happen? Well, we know what's going to happen, right? And that just seems like an outrageous kind of example. But that's precisely the point. The point of the example is that there is danger that they don't see and they don't know because they're children and they're simple-minded and they don't have the experience that you do. And so you have to work hard to train them, and this, again, this is particularly important when they're very young, to train them to listen for your voice and to value your voice. God has given children parents, not the government, not the school system, not even the church, parents to fill this very important role. And if they don't listen to you when they're two, they're not going to listen to you when they're 12. And they're certainly not going to listen to you when they're 22. 
The flip side of that is if you train them when they're young to listen to you when they're two, then they'll be more inclined to listen to you when they're 12, and they'll see the value in your words when they're 22 and older. Teach your children to value your voice, your counsel. Verse 9, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The they is referring back to the instruction and teaching. He says, our teaching will be a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. This is not teach your children to value money. This is not teach your children to value beauty. This is not teach your children to value sports. It's not give your children all the right experience and best chances in life or make sure they think they're the center of the known universe. This is teach your children to value your counsel because ultimately your counsel is going to be good for them. Your words are going to be good for them. You're going to be giving them words that are, that are going to set them up for life later on. This is to give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, but teach a man to fish and what? He'll eat for a lifetime, right? We want to teach our children to fish. You have to train them in wisdom. In order to do that, they must see value in your words. Of course, this assumes that your words are full of good things. If your counsel to your children is worthless, then perhaps this doesn't apply to you. But if you are, again, a believer seeking to raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, then your desire ought to be to teach them in the way of wisdom. It's good and right to have fun with your children. It's good for, to want them to enjoy time with you. But everything you say shouldn't be a joke. Everything you say shouldn't be funny. Every time you interact, should it be playtime? Moreover, this doesn't assume that your counsel is always perfect. The overall context of Proverbs is not a perfect parent, but it's a parent who's trying to instruct their children in the way of wisdom. And it doesn't mean that yours will be their only counsel. We'll respond to this a little bit later, but again, your child will have multitude of voices speaking in their lives. First and foremost, though, they should value your counsel because you are their parents, and that's your role. Teach your children to see the value in your counsel. Second, teach your children to see the danger of wicked counsel, verses 10 through 19. My son of sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say... Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Let us, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive whole and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their path for their feet. Run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain, it is vain to spread a net in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain and takes away the life of its possessors. Solomon says here, my son, if sinners entice you, you might as well say, when sinners entice you. As I said, there's no shortage of voices pouring into the ears and hearts, seeking the hearts of our children. Movies, television, media, school, extended family, politicians, athletes, actors, even businesses nowadays. Their voices are calling out from everywhere, speaking out of their particular worldview. Speaking never in vain, but always to convince and persuade of their worldview. Those who have the most followers on social media are called influencers for a reason. Perhaps the most difficult voices to contend with when it comes to warning our children are the voices of their peers. There seems to be a point in every child's life where they transition from being inclined to listen generally to listening to their parents to assuming that their peers know better. Maybe it's just a realization that their peers are in the same stage of life that they're in, that familiarity of experience, but there often develops this barrier in relationships between parents and children where the children start to think that their parents have become too old to understand and that the more, the more seasoned, the better voices are the voices of their peers. I think there was a song back in the 90s entitled Parents Just Don't Understand. The concept of youth in the book of Proverbs is not that all youth are inherently evil. It is rather that they are unexperienced, again, less knowledgeable, more impulsive, less likely to consider the consequences of their actions. And for this reason, they need older, wiser counselors to guide them in the way of wisdom. 
And again, also for this reason, a godly parent, a wise parent, will counsel their children to avoid blindly following their peers. Look back at the text again, verse 10. Here's the warning. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. He says, listen to my words. Do not listen to the words of sinners. Their words will be enticing. I think there's a measure of humility in admitting that. Sometimes the words of the youth and the other words of those influencers is enticing. And you can say to your blue in the face, oh, that's just wrong, it's wickedness, it's foolishness. But the reality is that sometimes it is enticing, it is appealing. And it's okay to acknowledge that as a parent, but you must also warn your children that they need to guard themselves against that. Everything that's appealing isn't good. Everything that sounds good and sounds reasonable isn't right. Now back to the text here, the imagery is that of a street gang that seeks to recruit additional members to their number. It suggested that this would have been a familiar group to the son, the enticing aspect of their call having to do with both the promise of, of wealth or gain as well as the familiarity of their invitation. These are people that he knows, perhaps people he grew up with, people in the neighborhood are trying to get him to come along. They are identified as sinners, meaning that they're clearly not walking in the law of God. They are lawbreakers. In the greater context of Proverbs, these are the fools, the wicked, the scoffers. The reality is that you can always tell what's in someone's heart based on what they're passionate about, the things that they say and share with others. He says their counsel is full of wickedness. Look at verse 11. They lust for death. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who get out to the pit. They have feet swift to shed blood, it says later. They want to take the lives of others. Perhaps in our day our children are not being enticed by a gang who desires to shed innocent blood. Perhaps for them it's just being enticed to pick on another kid who's different than others or less popular. Or to disobey in school. They have a clear lack of concern for and care for others and the well-being of others, and they're trying to encourage everyone to join in with them. They have a lust for death, a disregard for life. They also have a lust for gain, verse 13. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Again, this was a gang of thieves that he's referring to immediately in the context, this example. Their desire was to get rich quick. They sought to recruit additional hands to make that happen. And again, in our day, this is the counsel of those who see material gain and physical gain as the most important thing. Money, possessions, pleasures, entertainment. Their counsel is to do as a popular soft drink used to have as its slogan, obey your thirst. This is the Ephesians 2 lot. They live in the passions of their flesh, carrying out the desires of the flesh and of the mind. They also have a lust for conformity. Verse 14, throwing your lot among us, we will all have one purse. They're not interested in part-time members of their gang. They want total conformity. And this is the mantra of the LGBTQ movement today, total capitulation, total surrender. It's not enough for your church to say that all people are welcome. They want for you to change your theology so that the language of the church doesn't offend them. The language and teaching of the church that's existed for 2,000 years now. They want you to completely change it to not offend them. It's not enough for businesses or even towns to fly the flags, wave the banners, have pride parades. These businesses also have to ask everyone for their preferred pronoun, have special training to increase sensitivity, and have total representation in all of their advertisements, which unfortunately didn't work out for a popular beer company. Total conformity, they said. Do what we do. Go where we go. Say what we say. Throw in your lot with us. The word of caution here is given to indicate that their counsel is full of wickedness and that that's going to lead you down the wrong path. It's going to go in a way you do not want to follow. Verses 15 through 19. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. In vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. 
and explaining why his son should listen to his counsel. Solomon painted a picture of what would be the result. He said, it would be a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. What he now describes is a result of walking the way of wicked counselors, and it's the exact opposite of that. Their path is a way of evil, and their path is deadly. Again, it's the way of evil. He says, you know, in an almost pleading sort of nature, my son, do not walk with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. Don't go their way. Stay away from it. And Solomon is not here trying to prevent his son from having fun. He's not trying to prevent his son from participating in activities with peers. He's trying desperately to warn his son of impending danger, danger that he clearly does not see on his own. Their way is the way of evil. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. You don't want to be a part of that. This is evil. This is in direct contradiction to the will of the Lord. Again, the sovereign one, the one who is judge over all. It's evil. It's also deadly. Again, he says, in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Their path is deadly because it's going to cost them their lives. If you go along with them, your life will be forfeit as well. What does he mean? In vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. Well, if you're hunting, you don't show the animal trap to the animal you're about to catch. You camouflage it, right? You try to make sure there's no indication that you've been there. Now, this is irony at its finest in this text. He said in verse 11, those lie in wait for blood. Some lie in wait for blood. They ambush the innocent without cause. And he says that those who do that, those who lie and wait for blood, who ambush the innocent without cause, are essentially spreading a net before themselves that they clearly don't see. They're going to trap their own selves. And they're going to end up being snared in their own trap. And I think he means this in two different ways. Their, their wickedness is going to lead them to death. Certainly, physically, if they live by the sword, they'll die by the sword. They lie in wait for their own blood. You shed blood, your own blood will be shed. But also, in another way, they forfeit their life in a sense that once you start down the path of wickedness, it's impossible, humanly speaking, to course correct. It's hard to get out of sin once you are ensnared in it. I mentioned this before, but someone once said that sin always takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, costs you more than you were willing to pay. Those who indulge in sexual immorality don't stop with one act, one indiscretion. Those who indulge in alcohol can't take just one drink. Those who indulge in narcotic can't take just one pill. Those who steal don't stop at just one theft. It's a downward spiral. And they end up being ensnared by the very thing that they pursued. Those who indulge in sin, who walk that path, always end up as victims of their own crimes. Fathers are to warn their children of these things. There is a wisdom that is from above, and there is a wisdom that is from below. We read that in James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you, by his conduct let him show in his works the meekness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice, he says. And then he talks about wisdom that is from above. The counsel of the world, the counsel of the wicked sounds good. It looks good. He said, again, they say, throw in your lot with us. We will all have one purse. We'll find all kinds of precious goods and fill our houses with plunder. It'll be a good time. Come along with us. Solomon is saying, son, it is enticing and you will be tempted for we are all prone to wander. But you need to know that the end will be disaster. It'll be death. We should be talking with our children about the voices they're hearing, being honest with them about the enticing nature of their voices, but also being honor, honest about the impending danger of following those voices. Because these are skills they need to live in a world in which the Lord God is sovereign. Well, again, teach your children to see the value in your counsel. Teach your children to see the danger of wicked counsel, but also teach your children to treasure the blessing of wisdom. 
and wisdom to counsel. In verses 20 to 33. Again, wisdom cries aloud in the streets and the markets. She raises her voice at the end of the noisy streets. She cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn up my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because you, I called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish comes upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their ways and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell securely. And we'll be at ease without dread of disaster. Again, listen to my voice. Listen to my instruction, my counsel. Beware of the counsel of fools, the counsel of the wicked. It may look good. It may seem good. It may sound good. But in the end, it's going to result in death. As you go out into the world, also listen for the call of wisdom. There are a myriad of different voices calling for your attention. But you must be careful to listen for wisdom. Wisdom in this text is personified. It's personified in order to underscore its importance. Solomon will go on to consistently encourage his son to be careful of the kind of woman that he chooses for a bride. Wisdom is here personified as a woman so that his son will see the close relationship between the two. Just as significant as it is for you to marry a good woman, it is significant for you as you go out into the world to be married to wisdom. Ironically, there are so many young people anxious to be in a relationship to find spouses for themselves, which in and of itself is not wrong. But they fail to wed themselves to the one spouse without which none of us have a chance of walking before the Lord with any success. They fail to wed themselves to wisdom. And they fail to seek after those who wed themselves to wisdom. And here we go as parents trying to encourage our kids to find a good man, find a good woman. We have all of these very worldly ideas about what a good man and a good woman ought to be like. And the one thing that's the most important, wisdom, is completely missed in the discussion. They end up marrying fools. Back to the text again, this whole account is akin to a parable of wisdom. Wisdom is envisioned as walking about in the city, calling out to the simple-minded, these inexperienced youth, the unwise, pleading with them to listen to her call. Again, wisdom cries aloud in the street, it says in verse 20. She raises her voice at the head of noisy streets. She cries out at the entrance of the city gates. She speaks. He's encouraging his son to seek after wisdom. There is wisdom to be had. Wisdom is available if you pursue it. You just need to know where to look. Ignorance is no excuse. I like this one quote. He says, perhaps the easiest and most common excuse for doing wrong and falling into trouble is ignorance, that one just did not know any better. That excuse is implicitly rejected here. Wisdom is not some hidden treasure that has to be dug from the depths of the earth or the sole possession of the lonely sage sitting atop a mountain. To the contrary, wisdom roams the streets and is looking for someone to instruct. He says, the ways of right and wrong as presented in this word, the word of God, are open for all to read and follow. And ultimately, that's where wisdom is calling from today, God's word. The word of God is an eternal spring of wisdom. Again, in the Proverbs, it says, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. This is the offer of wisdom to those who turn and seek. This is the offer of the word of God. This is the first place you should direct your children. Teach them this by your own example. Be a student of the word of God. I'm not talking about going to seminary. I mean, show that the word of God is important to you. Study, meditate on it, read it yourself. Let it become a part of your daily conversation with your children. I remember this quote, I think it was about Spurgeon, but it said something to the effect that if you cut him, he would bleed Bible. I thought that was an interesting illustration. And that's because people around him who saw him and heard him knew that he was always talking about God's word. 
That's how you ought to be. That's how I ought to be. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. And these words that I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall diligently teach them to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You should have God's word in your heart so that as you walk by the way, as you sit down, as you lie down, as you rise up in the course of normal life, you're able to talk about the importance of God's word to your children. A student of the word, take them to church, worship together, let them see you prioritizing the word. Yes, it's important that they hear it from pastor. Yes, it can be helpful that they hear it from Sunday school lady. Yes, it can be helpful if they hear it from youth group. But I think the most significant voice in proclaiming dependence on the word of God in the life of your children is you. Teach them, exhort them, encourage them to depend on the, the word of God for wisdom because the word of God gives wisdom. Listen again. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple-minded? How long will scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, again, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make known my words to you. That's the promise of wisdom. Exhort them to seek after wisdom. Direct them to the word of God, but also direct them to other sources of godly wisdom. Grandma and grandpa may spoil them to death because they love them, but if grandma and grandpa aren't believing, then they're not a source of wisdom. And they need to know that. And for those of you who are grandma and grandpa, or great-grandma and great-grandpa, don't just spoil your kids and fuss at your kids for not spoiling them. Be a source of godly wisdom for them. If you know Jesus, the most important legacy that you can leave to your children is a legacy by which they are able to say, Grandma and Grandpa were always talking about the Word of God. Amen. They were always sharing the truth of God's Word, encouraging me to know the Lord. They were praying for me. They shared Scripture with me. Sometimes I got sick of it. Sometimes I didn't want to hear it. We just had my, my grandfather's... Um, funeral yesterday and I remember every time we got together with him when, we were, when I was young didn't matter what we were doing and we weren't going to church at all when I was young every time we got together with him we went to church period and there was nothing you could say about it like they, we, it was just it was just known like every time we went whether we went down to Virginia to visit with him or he came up here there was a church in Baltimore we would go to or in Virginia there was a church in Virginia we would go to Every single time. But the point is that you, parents, fathers, mothers, grandmothers, grandfathers, greats, etc., should be teaching your children to discern between the various voices in their life and encouraging them to seek after wisdom. The alternative is that if they fail, to see wisdom, the alternative is disaster. Look at verses 24 through 27. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand, no one is heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel, would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. This is, again, wisdom personified here is mocking the fool because the fool did not choose to listen to wisdom. I called to you, I stretched out my hand to you, but you didn't want to listen. So calamity, terror, storm, again, calamity, whirlwind, distress, and anguish is coming to you. Seek wisdom now before it's too late. Before, pursue wisdom before it's too late. Before disaster strikes. Verse 28. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. We hear echoes of the previous section. Those who lie in wait to ambush the lives of the innocent wait for their own blood. Similarly, here, those who spurn the counsel of wisdom will eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Rejecting wisdom today will only lead to greater pain and sorrow tomorrow. The last couple of verses are a summary statement. 
It says, for the simple are killed by their turning away. The complacency of fools destroys them, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. The simple are killed by their turning away. Turning away from what? Well, turning away from wisdom. The complacency of fools destroys them. In what way are fools complacent? They're complacent in a sense that they fail to seek after wisdom. Then it gives you the other side. It gives you the hopeful side. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. All of the calamity that was mentioned earlier, again, them setting a trap for themselves and, and pursuing foolishness and rejecting wisdom, lying in wait for their own blood, the terror, the storm, the calamity, the distress, the anguish. All of those come as a result of rejecting wisdom. But those who hear and obey wisdom, to the contrary, they will be secure. They will be at ease. It's not often, not always, but often the case, the reason why we're always on edge or fearing what is to come, fearing the unknown dangers, is because we know that we've been living as fools. And we know that living as fools will lead to disaster, unless we live in anticipation of that disaster daily. Many a people are stuck in anxiety, and discouragement, and depression because they're living as fools. The thief is always looking over his shoulder to see when he's going to get caught. The liar is constantly adding to the story of lies to cover up the original lie because they know they'll be found out. Those who live contrary to the will of God will live securely. Those who do not will always live in fear. And listen, if you're living in sin, and you're living contrary to God's word, and you don't feel any sense of fear or worry, that's the epitome of foolishness, according to God's word. In the illustration of Jonathan Edwards, those who are living apart from God are hanging by a very thin thread, if you can imagine the imagery, a very thin thread of God's common grace and they're hanging over the fires of hell. And at any moment, that thin thread can snap. And they'll fall headlong into eternal judgment. For those who are wise, those who seek wisdom, there is no fear. There's no anticipation of dread. There's only security and ease. In other words, there is peace. That's the kind of life to pursue. That's the blessing of wisdom. That's the kind of life we ought to encourage our children to pursue. That kind of life is not purchased by money. It's not earned through hard work. That kind of life is only offered by the wisdom of God. Teach your children to treasure the blessing of wisdom, to desire, to treasure the value of a peaceful life, a life of peace with God. That's the good life that we ought to be encouraging. We read from Proverbs chapter 3 earlier during our prayer session. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Her profit is better than the profit of silver. Her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Happy are all who hold her fast. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps were broken up and the skies dripped with dew. My son, do not let them vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion so there will be life to your soul and an adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Teach them to value the blessing of wisdom. And fathers, we're ultimately commanded to bring up our children under the discipline and instruction of the Lord that involves teaching them to seek wisdom, to see the value in our counsel as we instruct them in the way of wisdom, warning them against the wayward counsel of others as they seek to entice in the way of wickedness, and to see the value of pursuing wisdom in all of life as that which will lead to the greatest blessing. And ultimately, this picture of wisdom personified leads us to the person of Jesus Christ. Wisdom in the Proverbs is that which will lead us to walk in the fear of the Lord, all of what that entails, to honor Him, to know Him, to obey Him. In the book of Colossians, Paul makes clear that it is in Christ that we find 
all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Paul further explains in Colossians that in Jesus all the fullness of deity dwells, and in him we are made full. Thus we are exhorted in chapter 3 that Christ is our life. Jesus is the one who died for us. He's the one who gave his life for us. He's the one who offers the hope of eternal life by faith. No one else has ever offered such a gift. No one else could. He's the one who makes peace between us and God. The compelling argument to seek after wisdom is ultimately an argument to seek after Christ. We are to plead with and urge our children to seek after Jesus Christ. He's ultimately the one who enables us to walk in the fear of the Lord, to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's the one who offers salvation. He's the one who says, as he says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. He's the one who gives us the kind of peace that we find in Romans chapter 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to contemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? of tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for your sake we're being killed all the day long we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no and all these things were more than conquerors to him who loved us I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord you'll find that kind of security in nowhere else Perhaps you are not a good father or you just struggle with fathering your children in some way. It's never too late to seek after Jesus, to call upon him for peace, for rest, for wisdom. And it's never too late to point your children to Jesus. And again, perhaps you don't have physical children. Maybe your children are grown and out of the home. Maybe, you, again, you have grandchildren or great-grandchildren. Maybe you just have spiritual children in the Lord. It's never too late for you to seek the face of Jesus so that you may have something to offer to them, to direct them to the one in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The peace that God offers is only available as we seek the one, again, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we pray for fathers that the Lord gives us all wisdom and grace as we urge our children to know the wisdom of God through Jesus Christ. We pray this all. For his glory. Father, thank you for today. I do thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for the blessing of your wisdom, for your love for us poured out on the cross of Calvary, and for the fact that you continue to pour out your love to us in the form of wisdom. Your love for us extends not only in the initial act of salvation, but also in your continual ministry to us through your word. As you pour out wisdom to us. Father, help us to father in that way. Help us to parent in that way. Help us to love and to guide in that way. In a way that points to your wisdom, your greatness, your glory. In a way that directs our children to you.